Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 154, and we're going to be interviewing Sebastian D. How are you doing, Sebastian? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Excited to do this. So uh, you're uh, across the pond. You're in the UK? Yeah, mate. Salisbury in England, down the south. Okay, cool. Um, so let's get started. Let's talk about your childhood and growing up. Okay. Um, my childhood was pretty pretty normal childhood. Um single mother and one under one older brother. Um yeah, a pretty good childhood. Mum did everything she could to make sure that we had everything we needed. Um I lived in I grew up in Bristol, which is about an hour away from where I live now. Um went to a, a normal public school, normal school. Um yeah, I enjoyed school as a kid. Moved up to Salisbury when I was about twelve. Um Growing up, I just pretty much played football. That was pretty much my life. Um, uh, where was your dad? Uh, my father wasn't around. I didn't grow up with my dad. Um, he's sort of <clears throat> it's a big part of my addiction and part of my process. My father, my, my father died of an overdose in 2001. Um, as a kid growing up, I didn't know him. He wasn't around. Um, and I didn't know that he died of an overdose. I didn't find that out until when I was a bit older. Um, yeah, he wasn't around, but I always remember having quite a lot of feelings of anger towards him for not being there. Um, and that was that was quite, I found that out coming into recovery. That was obviously quite a large part of my problem, my addiction. Um, those sort of feelings of anger and always sort of being a kid that didn't have a dad growing up. Um, like all my friends around me had these perfect families, mother, father, brothers and sisters. And uh you know, it was quite evident that I, I sort of always had a problem with not having my dad around. It sort of gave me a bit of a an attitude like I don't need anyone, sort of, sort of attitude. Um, I guess I sort of looked up to my brother when, as I got a bit older, I sort of looked up to my brother more as a father figure. Um, I always remember, I always remember being like jealous of my brother because he's three years older. I always remember being like jealous of the things he could do and always wanting to get to that point. So like he'd get to an age where he could go out late and stay out and I wasn't allowed because I was the youngest or he'd like stay at friends or go out into town and I never could because I wasn't old enough. Um, so I always remember having sort of like a jealous, jealous feeling towards that. But then always sort of like, you know, he was always around for me. He was always there for me. He used to keep me out of trouble and take the blame for me occasionally when I was playing up. Um, my behavior wasn't great growing up. I wasn't like a bad kid but I was just a bit of a clown hmm. um, so what kind of stuff would you do yes uh, well I just sort of mess around in school um, nothing nothing too major um, but there was a few things that were a bit a bit over the top but just general messing around a bit of boisterous what kind of things were over the top <laughs> um, well me and a friend we broke into a football stadium when it had just been built um, 
sort of vandalized it, you know, smashed windows and things like that. Um, you know, yeah, just a bit of vandalism and just stupidity, really, like stupid. We thought it was fun at the time, but looking back, it wasn't it wasn't a great idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, it usually but, uh, never is. No, nah, never is, never is. Um, yeah, but other than that, my childhood was pretty good. Um, I played football, like I said, I loved football. I didn't actually drink until I was about 18. Um, so I didn't drink as like a child, like a lot of people have had through the time, through my story and recovery. I like started at early ages, um, but I never really, never really started until I was about 18. Um, and it, it, at first I didn't see it as a problem because everyone was doing it. So I think it was like a weekend going out with your friends, um, just what we did. Um, so I never saw it as like a problem. Never saw it as being an issue or leading to an issue. I just thought it was normality because everyone around me was doing it. So I didn't see the, didn't see the problem. Um, and it wasn't until, it wasn't until I was a bit older that I started, you know, started experimenting in drugs, maybe 22, 23, um, a bit of weed, smoking a bit of weed here and there with some friends. Again, at the time, I didn't see it as a problem because it was just what people did. Um, and yeah, I guess it was sort of like a progression for me. Like my drinking started just at weekends for a good few years. It was just partying with friends. And then those friends, we started drinking in the, in the week. We used to play like FIFA, like computer games. And we'd sit and have a few beers and play computer mm -hmm. games. And uh yeah, that sort of progressed into Fridays and Saturdays going out. And then Wednesdays, we'd meet up and drink. And then a Monday, we'd go out and watch some football and have some beers. Wednesday, we'd drink. Friday, Saturday, we'd go out. And then it was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday going out. Monday's beers, Wednesday beers. And it was like a, just sort of a sudden progression. Um, and then sort of the drug taking sort of, again, it was, was something it always, that... Was it always social? Yeah, yeah. At the start, yeah, it was always social, um, which is why I think I never saw it as a problem or like an issue because it wasn't causing any problems in my life. It was just everyone else was around me doing it. You know, it was just I was still going to work. I was, you know, still functioning in life, so I didn't see it as a problem. Yeah, that was. I was just talking with someone else before, saying that was my problem. Was I was I used to do good. I you know I was making money and I paid my own bills and lived on my own and. Yeah. I thought there was nothing wrong with what I was doing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I thought I was a functioning human being, but I really wasn't. Yeah, that's it. And even when the drugs sort of kicked in, like 22, 23, we used to take cocaine. And, uh, you know, we, a few of us would be doing it. So, again, I, it never really crossed my mind that it was a problem. Obviously, I knew drugs were bad, but it was one of those things that everyone I knew was doing it. So I didn't see it as causing any issues in life. Didn't see it as, you know, a problem. It wasn't until I was a bit older that it sort of progressed into more more frequent use, if you see what I mean. Um, maybe when I was about, I think about 28, so I'm 35 now, and about 28, 29, it started becoming a bit more regular than just weekends and partying. It became it slowly creeped into the Wednesday nights when we were drinking, we'd get some as well. Real but, quick, going, going back a little bit, what was your high school life like? What was, so you said the first time... Would, that you ever touched anything was what age? About eighteen. About eighteen. Yeah, right. so I never drank through school and stuff. So you were sober through school. You didn't get in any trouble that way. No, I didn't get any sort of trouble for drinking and stuff through school. I was quite into fitness and 
like running and football. So it never really, never really came up. And through school, I just had like a normal, was just like a normal like school experience. Like me and my friends would hang out at weekends. It wasn't there was never any sort of drug taking or experimenting in school days. It wasn't until I got older. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I was lucky. In, but then in I, that regard. In that, yeah, but then I feel like I crammed where the stuff that most people spread across 20 years, I sort of crammed into seven or eight. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and it's looking back, I think a lot of people knew I had a problem with alcohol before I did. Like family and stuff around me sort of knew that it was an issue because I could, I could never stop. I could never have a couple of beers and that would be it. It always had to be drunk and then go home. Um, Did you drink until you passed out? Pretty much, yeah, every time. Every time it was, yeah, it was never, it was social because there was other people there, but it wasn't social by the end of the night because I just very rarely remembered the end of the night. Um, yeah, and then when the drugs came in, um, for a few years, it was still such a social thing. It was still something that people were doing around me. So I never, again, saw it as a problem. And I never had any concern myself about it. Um, and then I think what, as I, the more I drank, like I, was, I had these severe feelings of like towards my father, towards my dad. Of not being around, I always had them growing up, like this anger feelings, and I always used to think about it quite a lot. Um, but never talk about it or never tell anyone. And that, I, I, to this day, I don't know whether that made me drink more at certain times or made me do things at certain times. But like the alcohol sort of took away those thoughts. So, like I think about them throughout the day, and then when I was drinking, being having fun with my mates, those sort of thoughts would go away. Um, so I think I think that had some impact on why I drank so much because it took away a lot of takes away a lot of thoughts of you know the the depression takes away a lot of negative thoughts and anger and stuff like that. But then on the flip side, the more I drank, the angrier I got. So I started out being fun. Like at the start of the night, it was fun and happy, and then towards the end of the night, I'd always get uh, you know be angry and would quite often get into trouble, like a few fights in town. Did um, you ever figure out why you used to get angry? Yeah, so we're coming into recovery. Um, I, I, I've sort of realised it was all based around my dad. Um, it was, you said. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, yeah, it was sort of like like separation issues, and I always came across confident and like a bit of a Jack the Lad, but deep down I wasn't confident, and I just needed a drink to let that out to sort of give me confidence. Um, and I think because the feeling, because uh, the stuff that I was locking away inside me, I think when I drank it, sort of came out without me knowing, like the anger and stuff. Um, yeah, and it used to, it sort of sets you free from yourself, doesn't it? If you drink, when you drink or you take drugs, it sets you free from the negative side of yourself. Does that make sense? What do you mean? So like. It stops me thinking about the things that upset me or make me angry and things like that. It would stop me thinking about those. So I sort of just let well, yeah, go. It kind, of, it kind of numbs you. Yeah, that's it. So it, yeah, so it numbs, the, so numbs, numbs, the feeling, yeah. numbs the pain and stuff, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's 
it's totally what I used to do also, you know. Well, for me, I always drank. It was, oh, I'm happy. Let me have a drink. Oh, I'm sad. Let me have a drink. Uh, there's nothing yeah. going on. Let me have a drink, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It was, oh, I, there was always a reason. Yep. There was the reason to drink. Like, oh, it's Sunday. Let's have a drink. I'm having a roast dinner. I'll have a drink. Exactly. Like um, one time I was drinking at like 11 o'clock in the morning and my girlfriend saw me and she hated it. But I just said to her, I'm like, I'm Italian and it's Sunday. <laughs> yeah. That's you it. Know? like when events would come up like a friend's birthday we'd have like a breakfast in the pub at like 9 30 and say oh it's his birthday we weren't allowed to have a beer with our breakfast because it's his birthday yeah and so we'd always find always looking for a reason or an excuse to to drink at any point yep um so yeah and then i think the, the my big my big problem was the drugs when that sort of kicked in that's when life sort of became unmanageable and spiraled out of control what age, so um, you didn't start using until later in life, but what happened after you graduated high school? Did you get a job? Did you go to college? So I went to college for about half a year and then realized it wasn't for me. I didn't, because I didn't enjoy education too much. So I, I sort of didn't, I left college halfway through the first year. Um, and I just sort of jumped between various jobs, construction, um, warehouses or offices. I did probably seven or eight jobs until I found the job that I do now. Um, yeah, I just sort of danced between jobs. What kind of jobs? Um, so I worked in like offices doing admin. Um, I worked in construction, um, doing like labouring jobs, like manual work. Um, worked in shops or warehouses, just. You know, just just you know, you, you just your standard jobs that a young, a young, uneducated, unqualified person would do, I guess. Okay, fair enough. Um. Yeah. So, growing up, like, like as a kid, I can't look back and think of any reason, at any point through my childhood, apart from my dad, that had any like link towards my drinking, or to my drug use, and. And even my early my early twenties, there was no. I had a pretty good life, to be honest. You know, I always had a job. I never struggled to find work. I always had friends around me. Good social life. Um, I was always part of a football team, so I used to play football or soccer, like football. Um, so I always had you know those groups of friends around me. So I, I never really had any sort of issues that on that side of things. But then I always remember feeling separate from everyone. I always felt like I was a bit different. Like felt like I was just not, I was trying to fit in everywhere I went sort of thing. Um, you, you weren't comfortable with yourself. No, that's it. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I was given off the impression like the bravado that I was comfortable and confident and I was this, this lad, but deep down I wasn't comfortable myself. So I was sort of, I had a group of friends but then I had five or six other groups of friends that I would just sort of dip in between because it it made me feel popular. Um, it made me feel sort of accepted and popular. So yeah, I would sort of dip in between groups of friends just for a bit of attention, I guess. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, I didn't until the last sort of half a year. Um, it's it's been quite a, a growing process learning a lot about myself 
Um, yeah, so the, dr the, the drinking and drugs combined was very social from about 22 to about 28. It was just a social thing, just never any real problems, didn't cause any real problems. Like I said, I was still working, I was still functioning in life. There was nothing, nothing going terribly wrong. Um, and I met my partner when I was 28. Um, and she sort of didn't like it. Like she knew straight away that drinking was a problem for me because I was always getting blackout drunk. Um, always saying I'll be home at 11 and coming in at five. Like constantly lying about where I was and what I was doing because I'm, I didn't want to stop, basically. I didn't want her to say, just come home. I was like, oh, no, I'll be home in half an hour. Now I'll be home in half an hour. Now I'll be home in half an hour. And then I just ignore my phone because I didn't want to deal with that. Um, and uh, then we, she fell pregnant um, quite early into our relationship. And I thought that would sort me out. I thought, oh, this is it. This is it now. This will stop me drinking. I'll stop using drugs. I know that having a baby will change my mindset and it will make me focus. And obviously it didn't. It only lasted a very short, a short time, um, maybe a maybe a couple of months. Do you and remember then, what you were thinking when you ended up going back to using? Um, no, I just remember lying a lot, like you know, saying I was popping out to the shop and not coming back for four hours because I was going to the pub, or saying I was going for one beer after work and coming home five hours later, you know, drunk. Um, I just remember, yeah, I don't remember what I was sort of thinking. I guess I was just sort of thinking I was quite a selfish person through my addiction, quite selfish. So I guess I was just sort of doing what I wanted and not really worrying about the consequence and not thinking about anyone else. It's so funny how we all share the same symptoms because, you know, I, I all addicts and alcoholics are just selfish people. We do the same shit. We hurt people in the same way. Yeah. I don't want to say it's funny, but it's, I, I guess the word would be, it's interesting. It's interesting how we, we all do this stuff. Yeah. Like, you know right. what I mean? That's why when you get in the rooms and you meet other people, you're like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only idiot in the room. Yeah. And we've all done stupid stuff. Yeah, that's right. It's, it is, I get, like, like you say, funny. It's not funny, but. It's, it's a funny situation to walk into a room of 20 strangers and all, immediately have something in common with every single one of them. Yep. Um, and to meet, say, 20 people from so many different walks of life but have such a good connection and so, it's like so much in common with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's strange, but it's quite a beautiful thing to be able to, like, to meet to meet people that I would never usually have met in my path of life and like have built such a good relationship and have so much in common with them. Yeah, exactly. Um, where did I get? Yeah. So we had, we had our first child. Um, and after a few months, I was straight back out to drinking, the lying, manipulating. Um, and that sort of went on for about a year. Um, constant arguments, constant problems and that's when it really started to become a problem because I was causing issues in my home life because I wanted to be out drinking and when I I never did what I said I was going to do so 
if I said I'd be home at a time, I never was. If I said I would go there and do something, I never did it. I just did whatever I wanted to do and never what I should have done as a partner, as a father, as a son. Um, even things like putting up a shelf or building a cot for the baby. I would put those things off, just put them off because I didn't want to do them because it wasn't what I wanted to do. It was what someone else wanted me to do. Um, and uh, I wasn't using, like, so my, my, my drug use was sort of concentrating within two years of my life. The rest of the time, it was quite social, never on my own, never out of a social situation. For, like, for years, it was just with friends um, and in, in the environment of other people doing it. It wasn't until the last couple of years of my addiction that it became unsocial. I started doing it on my own, not wanting to be with other people, not wanting to share, not wanting to tell anyone, sort of hiding it from people. And it became very antisocial very quickly. Um, and we had a second child. So my, my partner gave me another chance because I promised I was going to sort myself out. And at the time, I genuinely meant it. Like I was, I said, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to give everything up. I'm going to sort myself out. And at the time, I absolutely meant it, or I believed every word I was saying. Um, but obviously, it didn't last because I wasn't in the. I wasn't able to stop myself. I was trying to do the things that you do when you want to stop on your own, like join a gym, thinking, oh yeah, join a gym that will stop me drinking or using, or you know, change jobs or stop hanging around with certain people, trying all these different things that we try to give up on our own basis. Um, obviously, I didn't get any success with any of them. Um, and so we had a, a second child, which again, I thought, that's going to sort me out. This is the one. This is the time now. I'm going to stop drinking, stop using because it was starting to have a financial impact as well, because obviously drugs are expensive and so is a baby. Uh, but at the time, I wasn't making the right choices as to where the money was going. Um, so the second child comes along and I changed jobs and it, it, everything goes all right for a few months. It is, I sort of had this cycle of when I wanted to give up or when I made these promises. I'd be all right for a couple of months, maybe three months, and then the old habits would slowly creep back into place. So I'd slowly start drinking, slowly start hanging out with friends, slowly start slipping little lies into my daily daily life, and then it would just creep into heavily drinking, using, not coming home when I say I'm going to be home, not doing stuff, lying constantly. Um, so the second child sought me out for a few months and then because of my my using and my lies we sort of hit a wall in our relationship well she couldn't be with me because of the way I was and uh, I had an attitude of I'm going to do what I want don't you know I'll do what I want and I'm, I was always I'd like to say I was always there for my kids I was always around my kids but I can't I honestly can't say I was present the whole time so, like, I'd be there with them. I'd always see them when I say I was going to see them. But I'd be on my phone, not really paying them much attention. Or, you know, 
just not enjoying the time, not actually being present with them. I was just in the same room. Um, and then that's my, my addiction sort of spiraled wildly out of control from there. It, it's, it then became antisocial, daily use, you know, just hiding it from everyone, spending the money I didn't have to spend on it, like begging, borrowing from people to pay this person, to get more drugs off of this person, just bouncing around, bouncing around, just making sure I got my fix, making sure I got my use. Um, and I didn't take anyone else's life into consideration. By that point, it was just all about me and making sure I got what I wanted at the time. Um, <clears throat> and it became, like I said, daily. I'd just be out of my car. I'd just go for a drive in my car on my own, just sniffing drugs, drinking beers. I'd go for a walk around the field or anywhere. I'd go down to the beach on my own and just sit on my own, just using, drinking, sort of in my own little world, in my own little hole. Um, and that's when that's when it sort of stopped became, being fun. Because growing up with your friends and going out, it's sort of a fun. Like, I'm, I'll never lie and say I didn't enjoy it. I loved it at first. Like, I loved the partying. I loved hanging out with my friends. I loved the buzz I got off of it. But then it, it, it became something I hated. And I, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop doing it, even though I didn't want to do it. And I hated doing it. It, um, yeah, so it just spiraled, basically. And it was probably a good year, year and a half of just constant, constant using, constant drinking, um, constant lies. Just, it was a nightmare. My head would just be spinning constantly of what I'm going to tell this person. How am I going to tell this person? What am I going to say there? What am I going to, and it was just, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare, and it made it. It gave me real bad mental health issues because of the because of the constant lies and the worrying. And uh, yeah, I was about to say you had to keep track of all your lies. Yeah, this one of the best things I've heard through recovery is you don't have to remember the truth because when you're when you're in active addiction and you're lying constantly, you've got to try and remember every little thing you said to every single person. It's like a spider web; it just yeah. spreads. But, you know, you, you don't have to remember the truth because it just comes out. Yeah. And, uh, is that, you know, uh, that's one of the great things I've learned through recovery or, you know, heard through recovery. And um, it got to a point where uh, it was the end of last year, I, my mental health wasn't in a good place. I was using daily, like I said, constantly, always on my own, making excuses to just go out to just be on my own. Um, and I just sort of dropped right down to the bottom. I was losing weight. You know, I was getting into debt. I was feeling ill, but I couldn't stop. Um, I actually started, I went to an, a, a, meet, a meeting. My mum my sort of, I said to my mum, oh, I'm in a bad place. About October last year. And um, we went to a meeting and I sat in the meeting with my mum and you know listened but i wasn't i was just doing it to please other people because they they knew i had a problem so i just thought i'll go to this meeting they'll leave me alone 
and I can just get right back on to doing what I want to do. And uh, I remember going to this meeting, <clears throat> leaving the meeting, and my mum being like, oh, you've done the right thing, you've made the right step. In my head, I'm thinking, I can't wait to go home so I can use or drink. I just remember thinking, I know, I knew at that time I wasn't going to stick it. But my mum was there, and she, even though my mum was there and she was proud of me for making this first step, I didn't cross my mind to stop even then. Okay, there was uh, there was things people have always said to me, well, why couldn't you just stop? And I just couldn't. There was nothing anyone could have said or done to make me stop. Because that's, you know, that's an active addiction. It's just, it takes over all your moral compass. It takes over your mind. Yeah, you're and the only one that could decide to get sober. Yeah, that's right. And I remember it was like an, an AA meeting I went to. So me, because I'm, when I was in my active addiction, I thought I was clever in everyone and I thought no one knew anything, you know, and like, like you do, you think you're better and my arrogance, my ego. So I, I thought, well, I'll, what I'll do is I'll stop drinking because they can smell the drink, but I'll keep using the drugs because no one can smell the drugs. So if I come home after three or four pints, my partner could smell it on my breath. But if I came home after three or four lines, she wouldn't be none the wiser because she couldn't smell it. There was no telltale signs. And I think I'd done so much, I'd become functioning. So I was, I could carry out daily life. Or I wasn't exactly present, but no one sort of knew. They thought it was just the way I was nowadays because I'd been using for so long. They just thought that's how he is. He's moody, he's quiet. But it wasn't, it's because I'd been using and I was just trying not to talk to anyone, not to look at anyone and just try and hide everything from everyone. Um, <clears throat> and then... Towards the end, I became I became suicidal because I'd got so depressed and uh, so ashamed and I got into such a hole and I couldn't see a way out. I was... Was there anything that set that off? No, I think it was just the progression of the progression of the lies, the debt I was building up, you know, the disappointment. I knew I was letting everyone down and I knew... Like when people found it, when like my mum, for instance, found out that I wasn't, I hadn't given up drinking like she thought I had. When my partner found out how much drugs I've been doing, like my friends had found out, I just felt like no one was going to like me. No one was going to accept me. Like I felt, I felt so alone and I couldn't see a way out that I thought I best, it's best for me just not to be here. And I think it was more of a, quite a cowardly thing thinking, Instead of facing the truth and accepting the consequences, I'll just disappear. Um, and I remember standing on the pier, so I went for a drive after quite a heavy session, and being, remember being stood on the end of the pier and just wanting to throw myself off. And I stood there for quite some time, and I had my dog, I've got a little dog, and I had my dog with me. And I, still to this day, I think the only reason I didn't do it is because my dog was there and I couldn't bear to leave her on this pier. It's about an hour away from my house. So I think the only, to, to this day, like I said, the only reason I didn't do it is because I had the dog there with me. Um, because I honestly believe if, if I'd driven there without the dog on my own, I'd have done it. I was in that much of a bad place that I'd have done it. I'd have just, I'd probably have ended it right there. Um, and that's, I think that, that night sort of triggered my mind to think, this is what I need some help here. Like, I don't know if I took it as a sign, but as I drove, I went to the car and I fell asleep and I woke up in the morning and I sort of thought, well, I didn't do it. 
like I wanted to, but I didn't do it. Why didn't I do it? And that sort of that's what sort of inspired me to get the help. Um, I didn't get help right away, but it set something off in my mind saying you need to get some help. So I went I went home, and uh, I just went on another session because the best thing I can do when I'm in pain is to use. So mm -hmm. I, I sobered up. I started feeling pain again. So I figured I'd just start using again. Um, and I went on this massive bender, taking loads of drugs, drinking, and my friends all started to get worried about me, trying to find me. And uh, I ended up going to one of my friend's houses. <clears throat> and uh, he sat me down and we were talking and I said to him, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I sort of just confessed everything to him. And uh, he spoke to my mum, talked to her, and I left his house the next morning. And he said, oh, are you going home, yeah? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go straight home. And he said, I drove up to the hospital because still in my head, I didn't want to be here. And I thought the best place for me to go is to go to the hospital because if I go in her house, I'm either going to use or I'm going to do something stupid. Um, so I went up to the hospital. He came up with me in the end. He phoned me and said, where are you? You're not at home. It's a five-minute drive to your house. You're not at home. Where are you? <clears throat> and he came up to the hospital with me. I went and spoke to some nurses and some you know, mental health team. And in all honesty, they weren't much help. They gave me a couple of leaflets. Um, they told me to get in touch with a local uh, sort of a local charity that helped with recovery. And when I spoke to them on the phone, their advice was try using less. And anyone in active addiction knows you can't use less. That's why I'm an addict, because I can't stop once I have one. And they, they said to me, just try using less. The next week, just try using less. And that was just, <clears throat> it was just no good. Um, yeah, that doesn't sound like good advice at all. No, it wasn't. And I was in the hospital and I was saying to these people, look, if you let me leave here now without giving me some help, I'm going to kill myself. And they were like, right, well, ring this number if you feel like that. I said, I'm here now telling you I feel like that. Like, why can't you help me? But they were just like, oh, just ring this number if you need help or read this leaflet. Or, and so in all honesty, they weren't much help. <clears throat> Luckily, um, my friend knew someone within a fellowship. He got me in touch. And that, that's, that's what saved my life. Like, I went to a meeting. Like you say, I got into a room for the people. And I walked into this room of probably 40 people that I didn't know. And the first person comes over to me and says, hello, what's your name? And so I tell him my name. He gives me a hug and says, nice to meet you. And I was like, what? what's this guy hugging me for? What's going on here? Nah. But, and I was like, because I was becoming so socially awkward that I was like, what's going on here? Like, and, uh, and I had all these people coming up to me saying, oh, nice to see you. Like, what's your name? Like, introducing themselves and, you know, just ex straight away, like making me included. Like, oh, do you want a coffee? Come, come get a drink. Come sit down. And uh, the guy I went with, when we left there afterwards, he was like, how was that? I said, honestly, mate, it was a bit weird. I was like, you know, these, these people are talking about things that I didn't believe in. They're hugging me. Everyone's so happy. Like, why are they so happy? What's going on? <laughs> why is everyone in such a good mood? It's a Wednesday night. Like, and, uh, and yeah, that was the first meeting I went to, and I've been to hundreds since. And it's, the, 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 I've enjoyed my recovery. Like, the turnaround in my life's been incredible. The rooms of the rooms are probably the best place I've walked into in my life. 
It's like, I always describe it like a football changing room to me. The football changing room was the only place I ever felt comfortable because I was around other players. It's where I, on the football pitch is where my mind didn't think about anything other than you, other than when I was drinking or using. The only time I was sort of numb to pain was when I was playing football. And uh, so those rooms to me were like a changing room. You walk in there and I was numb to the pain because all these other people were so positive. I was chatting to people and it just, it sort of made me forget about the pain. Um, and that's the only way I can describe it. To someone that's never been to any of the rooms, I think just like a, an activity that you do in your life that when you're in that activity, you don't think about anything else. That's how I feel about the rooms. Like I don't, I don't feel stressed. Like if I've had a bad day and I go into the rooms, I come out in a good mood, no matter what. It, it's never failed. Um, so yeah, and it was just going to the meetings and you know working a program just dramatically changed my life. It changed massively. Like I, people trust me again. Like I don't lie because I've got no reason to lie anymore. I don't hide anything. I don't. I'm not ashamed. When I first got into recovery, I was ashamed of my addiction and I was ashamed of the person I was. But as I've grown through recovery, I'm now proud to be in recovery because of the way my life's turned out, because of the way I've turned my life around, because of the relationship I have with my mum, my family, my partner, my children. But now when I'm in the room with my kids, I'm in the room with my kids. Like I'm accountable to them every day. <clears throat> and that is the the peace of mind I have when I put my head on the pillow at night, I'm not thinking about how I'm going to get money to pay so-and-so, what I'm going to do to do this, what lies I've told. I just, my mind is just peaceful. It's, it's quiet. And I can give my partner a kiss and I close my eyes and I can go to sleep without any stress. And that, that to me is mind-boggling because I've never had that. And like the room's, Working a program, you know, it teaches you patience. It's taught me, well, it certainly taught me patience. It's taught me to look at myself. I have a good look at myself. You know, like I said about my dad, finding out, finding out that my dad was a sick man and he didn't get the help he needed. And that's why he died of an overdose. Released the anger from me. Because I never understood it until I came into the rooms. I didn't understand why it happened. Mm. And so learning about addiction and the illness and what it can do to you, that sort of released me from my anger, set me free from feeling negatively towards him. And that, that was like a big weight off my shoulders. Like a really big weight because that's what has tied me down my whole life. So it held me down. I blamed it for everything growing up. Anything that went wrong was because I didn't have a dad. And now, now I know that, you know, like I said, he was sick and he didn't get the help. It, is, it sort of released any sort of stress and anger from me. Um, and I can't, I can't imagine where I'd have gone had I not gone into the rooms and done this and worked the program. Like it, it saved my life, definitely. And it, uh, I've met so many like great people, so many wonderful people through it that you, find, you really find out who your friends are when you become sober. I think yeah. I always felt like I was really popular because I knew loads of people. I only had a handful of friends. 
and knew hundreds of people, right? Now, now that I'm sober, I realize I only have a handful of friends and that's all I need, like a handful of good friends and some other people, you know, some great people, but you really find out your true friends when you stop, when you stop drinking or you, you know, you're sober or you reach the bottom and you ask for help. Um, because the, the true friends are the ones that have always been there for checking in with me at the early recovery days, you know, seeing how I'm doing, talking to me, to now not treating me any differently because I don't drink. Like, so we go out and socialize and there's no, there's no awkwardness because I don't drink. Like I go happily go out with my friends and they can drink and I just don't because I'm in a, such a place that I don't need to. And so it's not awkward. There's no, there's no issues there. Hmm. That's great. I mean, it's it's amazing what can go on in the rooms when it comes to just people of being like-minded, just going through the same stuff and the power that brings with it. So was there any specific single instance that brought you to the rooms? Um, just uh, when I became suicidal and uh, my friend introduced me to someone that was part of the rooms. It's okay. someone that... I- it was someone that I knew from years ago. So I actually knew him when he was in active using. Um, and he's now five years, five years clean and sober. Um, so my friend got me in contact with him and he said, yeah, okay. I told him everything was going on. He said, I'll come and pick you up in two hours. And that was it. He could drive around my house that night, pick me up. Um, so I think my friend put me in contact with him and him, you know, working his program and saying, yeah, I can take you to a meeting tonight. I'll come and pick you up and we'll go together. Um, so, yeah, he took me, took me to my first meeting. Um, he's, he's my sponsor now. Um, so, well, you know, I speak to him daily. We work together daily. Um, yeah. So the, the only instance was my friend put me in contact because obviously my friend knew it's sort of a mutual friend. So he knew about his past. He knew about what he was doing now. Um, so he was like, you need to, you need to speak to him and go through what he's done. Cause that's, you know, he was where you are five years ago and now he's in this sort of place. Um, I think I was always quite a skeptical person. So I never, I was always, a believe it when I see it kind of guy. Um, yeah. and I think knowing him, at his worst stage and then seeing him four and a half years clean, I think that helped me massively to throw myself at the program because I saw with my own plain sight that it worked for him. Like I saw him at his worst. He told me this is what I did and this is where I am now. And straight away I thought, well, I'm just going to do that then because it's worked for him. It's got him to where he is. So I'm just going to do that. Like, why wouldn't I? Yeah. Makes uh, sense. Yeah. Um, I think now, like now, now the point of my recovery now is I want to, I want to try and help as many people as I can. Um, and I want to talk about it as much as I can and raise awareness and raise the, sort of lift the stigma and raise the profile of like fellowships. And then there's sort of, there's like you're not allowed to advertise sort of fellowships and it's all there's quite a few like tricky rules like anonymity and stuff like that. But 
I want to try and help as many people because I was in such a bad place and no one around me knew it. Um, so I think there could be other people out there that are in this bad place that don't know where to turn because had it not been for my friend introducing me to this guy, I wouldn't have known where to go and I wouldn't have known what to do. So I want to, I'm trying to slowly try and reach out to as many people as I can, just be as open and honest as I can. But so that's why I set up my Instagram page was to share my journey. Because if someone sees it who may be in a bad place and they want to get in contact, it's always open. And it's, it's somewhere that if someone needs some help or they want some help, they might go, oh, I saw Seb, he's got this. He's done, he's done that. Maybe I'll message him. Or if they know someone that's struggling, they can message me and say, oh, I've got a friend who's struggling. Have you got any advice? Or blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I don't know what it's like um, in the US, but in the UK, men don't talk to each other. Like, we don't tell each other if we've had a bad day. Or we don't tell each other if something's wrong. I don't know if it's the same in the US. It depends on the guy. Um, it, it's like a real I don't know what it is but I feel like there's a real like a pride thing especially especially you know, the people I know if someone says oh have you had a good day it's just yeah yeah good day it's never an honest actually nah it sucked like and that's what I'm trying to break so I'm trying to break it down so that people feel comfortable talking um, and I know there's a lot going on in the world with, like releasing the stigma and mental health and men talking, but I think that's why I started my Instagram page because if I can be open, honest, you know, tell people if I'm having a shit day, tell people the bad things that I've been through and that there's hope to come out the other side, then maybe someone might get some help from that somewhere. I don't know. What do you, what kind of post do you sit on your Instagram page? Um, so I just basically talk about my recovery. Um, what do you do, like short videos and stuff? Yeah, like or just you know, like videos or pictures um, or reels, just basically like about how my relationship with my kids at the start. Like I'm just very honest about how I treated people and how I treat them now. Um, about you know, so for instance, I was able to through recovery, I was able to clear my debt um, and buy a new family car, which was a massive thing for me because I've never done that. Um, so I want to share that. So look, I was in a bad debt and a real bad place. But thanks to recovery and sort myself out, I managed to get a new car. Um, my my partner, for instance, I you know show them appreciation for my partner and just say how I treated her at the start. I look, I'm just very open about how I was before and how I am now, just to try and show people that there is a way to change. Um, and. Obviously, you can, I'm not allowed to post certain things through the fellowship because of anonymity, but I'm willing, I'm happy to share my journey and uh, things that I've been through, you know, th things that I'm doing now, things like my daily routine, for instance. I'll share my daily routine just to show what it is I do on a daily basis to stay clean and sober. Um, because it's not a lot of work. I don't feel personally it's a lot to do. It maybe takes 20 minutes of my day, but 20 minutes of my day for 23 hours and 40 minutes of clean and sober life, I'll take that. I'll take that exchange every day of the week. Um, so yeah, I basically just try and post some positive messages. 
my story just to hope that maybe if someone sees it and they're in a bad place, they, they get some hope from it. Cool. So my last question, I ask everybody this. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people listening? Speak to someone. If you're struggling in any way, maybe it's not addiction. If you feel like you have an addiction or you feel like you have a problem, there's fellowships and there's people out there that can help. There's All you can do is reach out. You can find you can find help online. There's numbers you can call, websites you can visit. Um, but anyone that's maybe not, who doesn't think they're an addict or maybe it's not an addict, just talk. If you're not having a good time, talk about it. Tell your friends, tell your family. Because there's nothing worse than keeping it inside and letting it build and marinate inside you because it will only get worse. Talking to other people lifts lifts the feeling you have. It will help. If I can talk to people, anyone that knows me or anyone that knew me before, if I can talk openly and honest, anyone can do it. That's great. I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Did you have anything else you want to add? Um, there's always hope. It's never the end. There's always a way out. That's, that's something I can believe. There's always a way out, no matter how bad life is, no matter how bad any situation is. There's always another road. There's always a way out. Cool. Well, like I said before, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. No worries, man. Thanks for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. It's good to no, be here. I enjoyed I enjoyed your story. I really did. All right. So sit tight for a minute. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and subscribe. Also give us a like. When you subscribe, you'll see when we upload new videos. Also, you can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, TikTok. I also suggest visiting our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There we have a ton of free literature and plenty of different resources. So that's all I have for today. I hope once again, you enjoyed what you heard and saw. And until next time.